0: Awesome, you may be seated. Getting ready for Halloween, getting uh, the house ready, getting all the candy inventory ready for that uh, evening. Uh, I enjoy all the kids that come, uh, but to be honest, I get a little, I'm a, I'm a little kind of a scaredy, scaredy cat. Uh I think it started when I shouldn't have watched that horror film back in the early 90s. I think it was Silence of the Lambs. Big mistake. Uh, and I got to where even in the later 90s when, uh, do you remember the sixth sense? I see dead people. Freaked me out. Had to tap out on that movie. Couldn't finish it. A uh, couple films in the, in the late 90s and early millennium. Final Destination. Anyone ever... Uh, see those. Oh my word, they just scared me. And then there have been a few other films that uh, I've tried to watch just to see if I had what it took, you know. Could I last more than five minutes? And no, I can't. I get scared. And you know, uh, maybe you're similar. Maybe you're like, oh no, it's no big deal. It's all pretend. No big deal. But I, I got to tell you, I, I don't think it is pretend. <laughs> I think that even though, and I'm not trying to be sour grapes on Halloween at all, even though there's, there's a lot of intent to just have fun, that there's a, there's a backstage to what we see on Halloween in real life that's evil. I believe in a, a true evil person that Jesus referred to as the devil or Satan, uh, and that, that he has power. Uh, but he has a strategy that I think we've all experienced. Here's his strategy. His strategy is that, firstly, he is, um, uh, he, he's, he marshals a spiritual warfare. And you've experienced this. You're on your way home from work, and you're like, wow, that was, that was a frontline day. I felt like I was in a war today. That wasn't just about crunching numbers. That wasn't just about, you know, getting on the same page with my team or, and checking all of our deadlines and our systems. It seemed like more happened today than just business systems. That seemed like a war. Or when you go home and and you sit across the table with your family and you're like, there's tension at the table. And it, it's not just tension between you and your spouse. It's not tension just between you and your teenager, freshman. Uh, there's, there's a spiritual warfare going on. It's... It's in the metaphysical world. You can't see it all the time. And the devil is about that business. And just a caution that this war is not you against your team or you against your supervisor or you against your, uh, your vendor. It's not a war just against uh, you against your spouse or you against your teenager or you against your dog. <laughs> it might be you against your cat. I think we've got to But it's a spiritual warfare. That's the devil's strategy. Second piece of the devil's strategy is that he prefers to stay hidden. He does not uh, show himself in the miraculous that he's very capable of uh, very often. Um, He stays hidden. In fact, I I was reminded of the devil's nature when two months ago, Kathy McCarty, Our nurse practitioner to Zimbabwe, Chittimoye, Zimbabwe, where she serves hundreds of patients every month, thousands every month in a rural part of Zimbabwe supported by the uh, government there. And she said, Scott, I'll tell you something about our baptisms that's interesting. She said, "Uh, the, the men don't always like to do our baptisms. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, well, often we have people who've been practicing witchcraft or spiritism, that come to our baptistry to be baptized, and it usually takes four or five guys to baptize, even a frail woman. I'm like, you have my interest. Keep talking. She's like, oh, she says, and what's really creepy? She says we see it all the time. When someone walks in to the pond that they use, and they've been exposed to a lot of spiritism or um, witchcraft, literally there are ripples of water that unordinarily rip, ripple off of their bodies and there is a, there's a ripple effect in the pond because of the demons that are struggling with that very event. I'm listening. I set my lunch down. She said, in fact, what, the reason we use four or five people is because when we go to baptize, there is such a strength in even a small, frail Zimbabwean body that it's very difficult to get the person underwater. And so our our Christian missionaries that help us, when they know we're baptizing someone that has had exposure to witchcraft or exposure to spiritism, they're like, hey, (laughs) I'm not feeling well today. I'm going to take a sick leave today. (laughs) Not feeling good. She shared this story, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to Zimbabwe. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And, and, and don't misunderstand, Kathy's a Sebastopol-raised missionary nurse practitioner to Zimbabwe. I think she's been there 30 years. She has no reason to exaggerate or to try to create a dramatic story. She was just telling me about, we were talking about baptism, how even the demons know baptism is important. And uh, once that person's baptized, they're released from the demon's, and they can see again the ripple effect in the water by the presence of evil. Which takes me to the second part of Satan's strategy. The first is, it's a spiritual warfare. The second part is he, he takes a camouflaged, hidden, silent role. He does not uh, market himself as this evil, miraculous, demon possessor of people. He doesn't do that. He takes what I call, and the author of this sermon, Mark Moore, calls and describes the role of the hog-nosed snake. Satan is like the hog-nosed snake, which has no venom, uh, and if you go up to it, it will hiss at you, and eventually, though it looks poisonous like a viper, it will flip over on its back, play dead, and emit an odor That simulates as if he's dead. Here it is, the hognose snake. Check this out. It's not gonna bite you, you'll be fine. How many of you are good? You've seen enough? You are ready to move on? <laughs> uh, hog, no snake. Just simulates that he's dead. Here's, here's the point. That's the devil's strategy right now. He doesn't exist. Can you imagine some guest of a Bill Maher show, talk show, or uh, even uh, someone on Letterman or Leno, or uh, sitting down and, making the proposition that there is such a thing as an evil being, a an evil angel that leads demons globally, he'd be laughed off the stage. Are you serious? Come on. Well, that's the devil's goal. He doesn't want you to think he exists. And I'm going to show you a few lies that I think he uses that are very venomous this morning. Uh, he's, uh, he tries to hide. He also Uh, not only tries to hide, he is a, uh, he's already defeated. Uh, When Christ resurrected from the dead, uh, he actually took the greatest tool that the devil had, the tool to threaten us with death and no afterlife. That was his strongest tool. Jesus actually took that tool from him when he conquered the grave. He removed the sting of death uh, for a Christ follower, uh, and anyone who would place trust in Christ. Uh, but though he's already defeated, he's described in Scripture as being wounded and wanting to steal, kill, and destroy anyone he can get his hands on. That's, those words are used by Jesus. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life. And he has kind of a three-fold weaponry arsenal. The first weapon he uses, and you've probably experienced this before, he is described in Scripture as the great accuser. He's the accuser. Have you ever had those moments when you're accused of something you didn't do and everyone is just, they've got a, the crosshairs on you? You're experiencing what it's like to, to feel one of the uh, weapons of the devil, whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally. And he accuses us before God our Father in heaven. He'll come to God the Father in heaven and say, "Hey, have you seen Scott Matthews? Oh my word, have you seen him drive? Are you serious? He's a pastor, and you allow that, or uh, whatever? Uh, have you seen him? Uh, whatever. I don't want to expose too much about what he might accuse me of. But and God the Father says, "Hey, yeah, but guess what? <laughs> my Son Jesus Christ paid for his sins on a cross. He is not guilty." But the, the devil's the devil's role as accuser, which is easily seen in Job chapter one and two, you see that dialogue between he and God the Father, he is accusing us constantly. The second thing about the devil, he's not only an accuser, he is an intimidator. Think about a few narratives in the scriptures where even Jesus or his co worker Paul were intimidated. Uh, it, this reminds me, one time I was downtown Sac, and I, I met the snake woman. Have any of you in old Sac ever met the snake woman? Yeah, it doesn't create a lot of appetite for breakfast. It. I just remember her, we we're like intrigued by her, and she kind of came at us and started saying all things toward us. It was a little overwhelming, uncomfortable. Paul experienced the same thing. One time he was on a missionary journey. He was being followed by a girl who was demon-possessed, and she was she was kind of like broadcasting who Paul was in, a, in, a, in an annoying way. She kept doing it. She followed him constantly. He finally turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And the demon went out of her and she returned to her senses. On another occasion, Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. And a, uh, a demon speaks out from someone. He's in Cana or Capernaum. And when a, dina, when a demon speaks out, he doesn't speak out in a Frank Sinatra voice. It's not a pleasantry to hear. And he says, son of, son of David, son of man, what do you have to do with us? This screechy voice comes at Jesus. It's intimidating. Sometimes the devil will try to scare you. Sometimes he'll try to intimidate you. But he is no match Against the Christ follower who's filled with the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. You, I'm, my purpose is not to manipulate this morning or make you feel afraid at all. I actually want to help you identify um, some of the deception of the devil. Here, and this is his final weapon. It's lying. It's lying. You know how our culture lies all the time. Did you know what Jesus said about lying? Jesus said, It's the devil's native language. That's all he does is lie. And so lying is just part of his vernacular. And you're going to experience, I think, four lies. Four lies that come in half-truths. You hear them and you think, yeah, that sounds right. And they're just half-truths that have venom and can be lethal in your life. And I'll talk about how they can be lethal. Before we move forward, let me just tell you we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit around us. And I think you're going to discover that what John said was right. One of Jesus' coworkers said is right. And understand this verse in light of whatever challenge you're facing. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Say that with me. Greater is he that is in me, than he that is in the world. One more time. Greater is he that is in me, than he that is in the world. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what challenges before you, if you've placed your trust in the Son of God, you have been filled by his spirit in you, a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, a spirit of courage, You can be strong and courageous in the face of what I think are hog-nosed snake lies. I'm going to talk to you about four lies this morning. And these lies, you're going to hear them, you're going to think, come on, are you serious? And I'm going to show you, I sure am. I think they're lethal. And if you don't catch them today, it could be really, you could make some big mistakes that'll hurt you and your family and your friends. First one is related to sex. Sex. The lie about sex is you deserve to be satisfied. You deserve to be satisfied as it relates to sex, that it's about you. And you think about it in the Bible, we're told to um, have children and multiply. Adam and Eve have children and multiply to have sex. (laughs) <laughs> that's got to be the command in the Bible that mankind has followed better than any command there is. We've killed that one. We've done that very well. <laughs> we are good at that one. But that's that's a half truth. That you're that you've been that that you're entitled to be satisfied because think about it. God has given us great uh, sexual desire. Um, he's given man great sexual desire. He's given women sexual desire. And yet, uh, and, and why? Why so much? It seems like he overdid it in that area because look how well we've done in that area with six, you know, billion plus people on the planet. There's a reason. We've obeyed that Genesis account command. Agreed? That's why we're here, okay? All right, if anyone's not getting this, just take them aside and just say, let me explain this to you really quick, okay? Now, uh, but the idea that God's given us this desire must have a reason. And let me suggest the, the simple idea is that God loves babies. He loves children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And, and uh, it's, I got to tell you, it's fun. We've got a couple gals that uh, are in this service that are expecting. Can't wait. Excited for them. It's always, I don't know why, it's funner when other people are having babies. It's just really cool i 'm not kidding, I remember the due dates. one's in January third and one's early March. I'm so just excited about it. Go excited um, call my wife if, if you need help in the middle of the night. Uh, but uh God made sex to make babies. He also has given men and women I think this desire to be hunters and gatherers and to conquer and to win things but Uh, and and to have, have professional victories, but God has given us sexual desire for each other to bring us back home. Sometimes our work can take us away from the home. Sometimes our work can be too much in the home. Let me say that again. Sometimes we can bring our work too much into the home. I probably wasn't clear. Sometimes we can take our work from work and bring it all home. Is that resonating with you? Yeah. And there can be no time for... Yeah. And so, the problem with that is that we're not connecting like we should be. Do you know the Bible says the only time that you shouldn't, that you should abstain from sex is if you're praying together. Yeah. So that's a great line, wouldn't it be? Hey, honey, let's pray together. Oh, geez. Okay. God gave us sex so that we would not just have babies. He gave us sex so we would stay home and raise our babies. That's that's the full truth. He had a plan. It's not there just for my satisfaction. It's there because he has a plan. He, his plan was that it would keep a husband and wife together. It would help keep a husband and wife together. Uh, making babies and raising babies. And that it would be a joy. It would be an area in your life that could be, a, uh, could be a joy and a stress relief amongst all the other stuff you can't control out in the workforce. Um, but some people think it's just for their satisfaction. So what do you do when you're single or you're widowed or you're, um, you're a college student and it doesn't look like you're not married? Because really this has been designed for a husband and wife who've committed to each other for life. You, there's, there's too much risk, too much, too many liabilities to involve yourself in this until you're committed for life, uh, until you're married. And if you don't think so, if you don't think there's liabilities in this area, boy, all you got to do is read the news. <laughs> I mean, really, how many mug shots do we need from our own community before we realize how, how much protection we have to put around us? Uh, how many how many job losses? How many families have to experience wreckage before we think, you know what? This is not just a hog-nosed snake. (laughs) We have to all protect ourselves. One of my friends, good friends, who helped start Adventure, who has since moved, uh, approached me one day and said, Scott, I got to tell you, when you shared with me your boundaries in the office, I honestly thought, that's a little much. (laughs) And he had some difficulties at his place of employment. And he told me years later, he said, Scott, i got to tell you, when you said that, I should have just jumped all over that. Here's my, here are some of my policies. I won't be in the office alone with a woman. I won't. <laughs> my office or their office. Not because I think I'm some hottie that everyone wants to attack, okay? <laughs> all right? It's because I don't trust myself. How about that? I don't trust my own emotions, my own chemistry. Uh, I just think it's—I think you can have chemistry with someone, and it can happen just like that. How many of you would agree with me? Okay, got a couple. You just have to be on guard. If I find myself attracted to someone at the, my place of employment, I'll tell my wife, "Hey, that gal—I need to be careful with that gal." Yeah, just make certain I'm never hanging out with her at Rayleigh's or something like that. I'll communicate. Um, I do not drive with another woman in a car by myself besides my wife. Uh, I I wouldn't even do it. I I just don't make exceptions in that area. I've done it once since I've been here. And uh, he's the chairman of our elders now, and I call them and ask for permission. It sounds ridiculous until you read the news. (laughs) Um, Those are some of the things. I'm accountable for anything I look at on my computers or phones. Um, I've got people in my life that can ask me any question, any time. I don't go, I'm not in a home alone with a woman um, that is not my wife. Um, I will not allow minors in my home without my wife being present. Sounds kind of extreme, doesn't it? Really? I just think you got to protect yourself. I I don't want to see any family torn apart. I don't want to see any um, marriage with a wedge in it. I want you to enjoy the good life, the blessed life, and you do that by committing to someone for life and protecting yourself <clears throat> and how do you how do you how do you do it I, you don 't just resist the devil uh, you you run, you run from temptation all the time you just run. This is the one area as I shared last month that can can really affect your whole life because you're a church and, you're, and sex is something that connects you with someone else in a powerful way. It connects you and Jesus with someone else. And if you're not married to them, it's devastating. So maybe today for you, sex has been kind of that hog nosed snake that you think is just playful and cute and no big deal. And I'm telling you, it's a big deal. And uh, if if you need to be convinced of that, watch the news. Go on Yahoo News and look at how it destroys people that don't respect it. All right, enough of that. Uh, the, uh, really the challenge of that verse is though of that of the verse of that challenge is Psalm thirty-seven uh, verse Psalm Psalm thirty-seven verse thirty-seven or, or verse thirty-four. Wait for the Lord. And keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Trust, wait on the Lord. And run away from any hint of sexual immorality. That's the 1st hognose snake. The second one, I think, is equally tempting. This is one I think I actually struggle with. I'm going to, if it helps keep you engaged, tell you this is an area of weakness. It's power. Power. I'm not talking about muscle. Uh, This is the area of deception where the devil tells you this half-truth. Here it is. You deserve honor. Turn to someone you're seated with and say, you deserve honor. Say it. Oh, yeah. You deserve a little taste of the glory, as Nacho Libre would say. You deserve fame. You deserve fame. Say, you're going to be famous someday. Yeah, that's one of the devil's half-lies, that you deserve fame. And it's, uh, it's, it's deadly. Uh, the problem with it is there's a, there's a half-truth to it. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. We have been knit together in our mother's womb. Let me say that again. We have been knit together in our mother's womb. Uh, we were the pinnacle component of creation in the Genesis account. We have been made a little higher than angels, according to Paul's writings to the Romans, the Hebrews in Rome. We are made in the image of God. But it was never God's will that we exalted ourselves. It's never been God's will that we pursued glory or fame or honor that we said, hey, this is my time. I got this. This is, uh, this is, this is my moment, my opportunity of a lifetime. Who, what rapper am I quoting right now? <laughs> Who is that? Yeah, Eminem. Uh, it, that idea that this is me, this is my moment, it's God's moment. <laughs> and, and do you know the difference of when you say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to honor myself. I'm going to let God do it. When you choose that kind of mindset that God's the one that's going to honor you, God's going to exalt you. When he does, it's, it's surreal. You feel so loved. It's like, oh, it's, it's not glory, it's love. It's like he is choosing to work in me. Oh my word, I can't believe I get this opportunity. It's Again, it's never been God's design that I exalt myself. It's his design that he exalts me. What's the, the lifestyle solution to that? You serve humbly. You serve humbly. You serve humbly. What does it mean to be humble? It means to be leveled. It's a landscape architectural term that you're leveled. You're willing to serve people who can't reciprocate. That's who Jesus said to serve. Serve people who can't do back for you what you need them to do. It's, it's the career person here that gives an extra 15 or 20 or 30 hours a week to coaching a soccer team or a baseball team or, or working with our children in the youth ministry or our students. It's serving people who can't reciprocate. That's how you ensure that you're letting the Lord exalt you. I wish I could tell you some of the biographies of the people that serve in our children's ministry. We have amazing people that serve our kids. It, it astounds me. And that serve our students and that serve uh, with Compassion 365. Crazy, the kind of commitment they make. Let me tell you, they're letting the Lord have the honor, the respect, the exalting glory, fame, quotient in their life. That's not their business, and it's not yours either. I think the key verse is in James chapter 4, when James writes that uh, as it relates to power, if we humble ourselves before the Lord... He will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. Peter says it similarly. Submit therefore to God. Humble yourself. And in due time, God will lift you up. Stay humble. Stay focused. The third third challenge that I think is very hard for men um, is anger. The issue of anger. (laughs) Anybody struggle with anger here? Yeah. Yeah. I, anger is the kind of thing where there's a half lie that we hear, and here's the here's the half bit of truth that 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 the devil tells us. He tells us we're entitled to justice, uh, we deserve justice, I deserve justice, and the problem with that is there's some truth to that. There is truth that we we serve under a just. Just God and judge. By the way, all judgment has been given to his son, Jesus Christ. He will actually be responsible for the entirety of the litigation of judgment day. But God has, he has the ability to make fair judgment. He's a just God. He gets angry. There's nothing wrong with anger. God gets angry when orphans are left. God gets angry when widows are not cared for. God gets angry when uh, there's police brutality or there's murder against our police officers nationwide. God gets angry at child molestation. He gets angry at rape. He gets angry at murder. Uh, God gets angry at things that we might think are very innocent, like divorce. The scripture says God hates divorce, and it's no doubt because of the impact it has on generations. Um, God gets angry at genocide, I mean, unspeakably. Uh, he has a pure capacity about him a a a a release of his anger but it's timely and he does it the pro- the half truth in this idea that i deserve to be i deserve justice is that i'm tempted to take justice into my own hands uh, the other day on capital city freeway i was headed towards uh, the 5 to um to to come home after uh, going to Kaiser, and on my way home, it felt like this semi tractor trailer driver just was happy to see me in the get forced into the emergency lane, and I'm like, you know, four wheeling through all the tire rubbish that's in there, and I get out of it, and I see him a few cars up, and I'm like, oh, I'd like to make eye contact with him, just a little eye contact. <laughs> And it'll be in Jesus' name, but I, you know, so I I start driving and keep going, and I thought, no, don't do that. Just let it go. Well, I I did kind of catch up to him eventually, and I decided, don't look. Just drive by him. Just drive by him. He may have meant it. He may not have meant it. Let the Lord deal with that. I felt so much better that day. Here's why. Here's what I'm entitled to. Here's what I deserve. I deserve mercy. That's, I don't deserve it, but I've gotten it. And I'm now to be a mercy bringer. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Do you want to be someone that receives the mercy of God? Be a distributor of mercy, even when you don't feel like it. And how do you do that? (laughs) You do something that's the hardest thing in the world sometimes. You, You forgive unconditionally. That's the, that's, you become someone who can forgive. And sometimes I don't even know how people do it. I've got one family that I've been pastoring that has never attended adventure. They have some extended family that comes here, maybe quarterly. Uh, This is someone in their retirement years that had their daughter murdered in Stockton and their grandson uh, die in a tragic pool accident, all within like three to six months. How do you, I mean, wow. It's a miracle to be able to forgive in that Situation: How do you become someone that can deal with your anger and your hurt? And I've had stuff happen to me that is that was difficult for me to forgive. It took me a long time, like probably twenty years. Yeah, Uh, yesterday. No, just kidding. For some reason, in my early, in my late teens through maybe early thirties, there was just stuff that took me a while to forgive. How do you become someone that can deal with your anger? You learn to distribute the same mercy that he gives you. You just distribute it to others. And I don't know if it's something about getting older, being in my later 40s, but I just don't get angry that easily anymore. I'm grateful for it. Now my wife can, she actually has the ability to touch nerves a little bit better in me. I don't know why. But, anger gets better. And you might say to yourself, sex, okay, I can see maybe how that's that's a deceptive lie that that's, can be venomous. Okay, I can see how power, I could make some decisions to kind of self-glorify myself and get in trouble, but anger, oh, did you know most fatal car accidents follow a, a volatile, angry conversation? People are angry. Domestic violence. People are angry. Anger has the capacity to control you. The first murder in the Bible, <laughs> Cain killing Abel. Cain killing Abel. God said to Cain, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so angry? If you don't start doing what's right and change your attitude, sin is crouching at the door to manhandle you. <laughs> Cain didn't listen. He killed his brother. Anger has incredible, an incredible capacity to control you. Become a forgiver. Embrace the full truth. Live the solution and claim the promise. The promise here is if you forgive, you're going to be forgiven. Luke chapter 6. If you forgive, you're going to be forgiven. You become a person that distributes forgiveness. How do you do this, really? First thing I do is I pray for people that, that are tough for me to not be angry towards. I pray for them. And when given an opportunity, I try to do an act of kindness. You know, the, love, the scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. I will try to love them. Now, if I see them at Raley's, I don't run up and give them a big hug. And, you know, I don't act stupid most of the time. But I, I will try to do things that change my heart. And it gets better. And it's amazing how you can have actually transformed relationships with people that you used to really be offended by. It's pretty cool, actually, when you enjoy being around them and doing life with them. So um, the last last area, and I'm going to be brief uh, for time, the last area that we can be deceived about is guilt. And this kind of area that I thought could be sensitive for people is with our guilt, we can have this half-truth that we believe that we deserve to be punished, that we deserve to be punished that our guilt necessitates that we self-punish. And I'm thinking, okay, we don't, most people don't hit themselves, although that's not totally uncommon. But I think sometimes we can talk in a self-deprecating way that's not healthy. We can talk about how bad we are, about what losers we are. And it can be kind of chronic and addictive. It's not good. Uh, The half-truth is that I deserve to be punished. And it's a half-truth because... You know, ask your parents, were there moments when you deserved to be punished? Absolutely. The scriptures teach, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a, there's a place for, for appropriate discipline that comes from a parent, that discipline simply tries to direct people the other direction. That's how God disciplines us in a loving way. But the full truth, as it relates to guilt, is that Jesus absorbed the entire consequences of man's sin. That's the full truth. We could never pay for it. The only way we enjoy it is by practicing this solution. Confess your sins. Confess. Agree with God. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Those are the four half-truths that I deserve to be satisfied sexually. That, that, and God's full truth... Is that he has a perfect plan uh, the second half truth is that I deserve power and honor <laughs> fame that's a half truth you're significant, but it's never been god's will that you you try to navigate glory and honor for your own self that's something God does. let him do it thirdly, the third half truth is that you just you deserve justice and That's a half-truth. Even though God is the one who has vengeance as his, we want to trust him with vengeance, the full truth is that you are to be a mercy bringer. Now, let me just make one note. It is the responsibility of the governing authorities. Paul, Jesus' co-worker, said, "The, the governing authorities bear the sword for a reason. It's their responsibility to carry out justice. Our police officers, it's their job to take out justice. Our federal officers, their job to carry justice. It's not ours. And then finally, the fourth half-truth is that your guilt deserves to be punished. It's a half-truth. Your guilt was fully punished on the cross. And now it's God's desire that you live free. Imagine yourself free uh, free of the risks of sexual misconduct. Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to be professional? Just free. Protect yourself. Always. Imagine yourself free from the temptation to self-exalt. Oh yeah. And you're always tested by who you serve. And how you receive praise. Remember it was Herod who said. Had a great speech. And they said you speak like a god. And he said nothing. He liked what they had to say. And he died of worms that week. Thirdly. Can you imagine yourself as someone who is uh, who's not controlled by their anger but instead is moved by compassion? Solomon says that's a great leader. It's someone who leads with love. Doesn't mean that there's no sense of justice. It just means you understand how much justice that you couldn't handle personally. And then finally, someone who's able to have a, a good view of themselves. They're not overly self-deprecating because they know that, that uh, they're a sinner and if they're going to brag about anything, they're going to brag about the cross. <laughs> they're going to brag about the cross where Jesus absorbed all of their shortcomings. Have you, have you ever bragged about the cross? When's the last time in conversation you said, you know what, that was done on the cross? When's the last time you've said, you shared your Jesus story with someone, said, hey, that's about the cross? If you haven't, if you've never made a decision to believe that what Jesus suffered on that cross was for you, why not today? Why not? Why not say yes to Jesus? Let me lead you in a prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, uh, this season, this week in particular, just to look at what are some lies that can, if, if, if believed, if grasped, uh, they're half-truths that can get us into a lot of trouble. And I just ask right now that anyone who's here, that, Holy Spirit, you would help us identify where we need to shore up, where we need to be ready. What half-truth we need to stop believing? Is it a half-truth related to sex that we deserve to be satisfied? And instead, we need to believe the whole truth that you have a plan. Is the half-truth that we believed related to power that we deserve power and honor. And the full truth we need to embrace is that you're the one that exalts us. It's not our job. Is the other half truth that we need to consider this idea that we deserve justice and instead we need to be merciful and forgive so that we'll be forgiven? Is the other half truth that your spirit is telling us to embrace that... (laughs) that we, that all of our sins have been fully absorbed by Jesus and that we're not going to, we need nothing else but him. Show us what half-truth we need to set aside and what full truth we need to hold on to. Help us live the solution. Help us claim the promise. In Jesus' name.